when I was at DocuSign, our CMO was getting ready to leave and it was, it was, he resigned the day I gave birth to my third child. <laughs> I really wanted to be a CMO, but I didn't want to leave DocuSign because I loved the company. And so um, from the hospital, I had my laptop there because I had to be there four days. I started scheduling time with our CEO and CEO at DocuSign. I was like, I want to be the CMO. And for the next 12 weeks, I tried to be, get the CMO job at DocuSign. And I went in two days a, a week during my maternity leave and I pitched and I fought and I, I would like, I was driving up from, um, oh from the South Bay and I would like try to pump myself up, you know, to go after it. And, and in the end, I didn't get it. Um, I ended up being ranked three out of the, you know, candidates. This is The Early Years, a show about influential early employees of the most successful companies and their stories that have made a lasting impact. I'm Braden Anderson, and on today's show, our guest shares her experiences as a senior leader at some of tech's hottest startups. When you're about to start a new role, are you prepared and ready for that role? Maybe it's your first leadership position, or maybe it's a new position on a completely new team. How do you prepare for that? Are you ever actually ready on day one for that role? Today, we're joined by Megan Eisenberg, the Chief Marketing Officer at Trip Actions. As she was beginning her first CMO role, Megan could attest that taking that next role isn't always easy. But now, Megan has been featured in Forbes, has been named one of the most influential MarTech leaders, was recognized as a top 25 B2B marketing influencer, and Adweek's top 50 most retweeted by mid-sized marketers. Early in her career when she was working at Cisco, she realized that if she wanted to manage a team, she needed to get more education leading her to attend Yale University for an MBA. If I wanted to move up in my career, most of the managers at Cisco had MBAs, mm. either from Santa Clara or from uh, Stanford, uh, Berkeley. And so I thought I need to go get my MBA if I'm going to manage and applied. And at the time, it was one of the toughest times to apply because of the bust. A lot of oh, people really? had to go back to school, which is very similar to now. When there's a recession, people go back to school. They, if they lose their job, they have to retool and they want to mm. come out stronger. Uh, and so I applied and uh, ended up going to Yale uh, and they had a focus on finance and strategy. Um, when I got there, realized I was not going to do well in finance. <laughs> After my first finance exam, <laughs> I totally got schooled by all my colleagues that were investment bankers. Um, yeah on the East Coast, but uh, what I did realize is after taking a couple marketing courses, how much I loved it. And I thought, you know, I could come out and market for tech companies and make a pivot in my career at that point. I was still employed by Cisco Systems. Mm. I was on an educational leave of absence uh, and I, I, I wanted to come back and do marketing for Cisco, but um, they, you know, my sponsor didn't want, they wanted me to come back and, and go into IT engineer, uh, into the IT manufacturer IT department. And so I left and I joined a startup uh, that had just been acquired by IBM. And that sort of took me through the rest of my career path. Gotcha. Someone brought me from one company, you know, your network, that first group of people I have stayed connected to at that startup. And they've taken me to all the other companies I've been at. That's so cool. So you finished your MBA and you realized finance strategy may not be the best fit. Well, strategy um, was still a good fit. I actually right, doubled right. down on strategy and Yale was known for that. I just did the minimum on finance, which <laughs> I probably should have done a little more of in hindsight, but I, I, I yeah. got proficient. I got the same grade everyone else got, but I had to work twice as hard as them. <laughs> 
hey, you got to know your strengths and, and, yes. and just jump on those. And, and so that, so you do the, the marketing, you do the strategy. Why, why was that the right decision for you? Was it again, just a natural strength for you or why was that the right decision? Well, I mean, tech's hot. I was going to come back to the Bay Area and I, I think tech marketing could use some help. Right at the time, there were so many companies blossoming. Martech was taking off. So if you understood how, how an end user would use it, I understood IT. I understood developers, uh, and so I could, if I could sell tech to them, you know, but because I understood the buyer. I mean, I think that's some, one of the most important things in product marketing is you have to understand the buyer and the why. And so mm -hmm. my first decade of my career in tech was was middleware, infrastructure software, selling to IT, selling to CISOs. I was in security, selling to developers. And so I think it gave me a slight advantage having a, a slight understanding of tech. Now it's changed dramatically in 25 sure. years. Uh, I, I'm blown away by what we're doing now. They definitely don't <laughs> teach it in school anymore. <laughs> Totally. But I learned they don't teach in school. Yeah. So you start in, in this product marketing type of role then, um, which is, you know, this is the early 2000s. And really when product marketing was like fairly new, right? Like I was a product marketing manager about five years ago. And even then it felt so new. And this was, again, just five years ago. So I'm, I'm just curious, like, what was it like for you to take on a role that was so new to the tech world? You know, I... I think a lot of people after they graduate uh, with their MBA, they go, they're natural. If you're going to go into marketing, you go into product marketing because of the, there's a lot of analysis, strategy work needed, pricing, packaging, understanding the personas and buyers. So when I graduated, I went under, uh, Dan Drucker was the CMO of Trigo. And he really gave me a great foundation for marketing because he had a philosophy that many didn't have back then about aligning with sales and that the success of marketing is dependent on your relationship with sales. And if they're not successful, you're, you're going to get fired first, then sales is going to get fired, right? And then the CEO. And so he was a huge, you know, he treated sales like a customer and a partner. And so I learned that as a product marketer to really listen and understand and to listen to customers and buyers and then the core messaging that was necessary. And then I did a lot of presenting. Um, we, you know, being acquired by IBM, I was in the RF, you know, it was middleware and I was in the RFID side of it. We were trying to launch a new product and so traveled all around the world, which was very exciting um, and, and taught and did demos on the product that we were um, we were selling. And I think it was just, um, you know, a really great experience because then as I moved on and eventually switched into demand gen, it, it gave me the ability to take the message to market because I started to understand, okay, now I get the message and the buyer, but how do they digest it? How do I get the information in their hands and get them into our funnel in front of sales? And what is the, the tricks around that? And I think demand gen is really a lot of systems, technology, understanding the data and what's happening and then running the programs and then fine tuning that. And it's, it's ever, it, you never solve it. Yeah. Every week there's new challenges, new bottlenecks, kind of back to the APIC certification on a manufacturing flow. You're problem solving every week and trying mm -hmm. to figure out how to build efficiencies in with your SDRs, with your sales team, understanding what are the roadblocks? What do I need? What content do I need to create to get the buyer through that? Oh, they, they're worried about security. Let's create content around security. They're worried about the legality of e-signature, electronic mm -hmm. signature. Let's create content that explains this was legal you know, what laws are in place that make electronic signature legal. Like just that constant um, problem solving, learning, and then fixing it and, and moving forward. 
Yeah, which is fun. Like being able to constantly yes. solve new challenging problems is a great skill to have in your career. Um, so you you mentioned demand generation. Uh, I believe this is what you were doing at DocuSign then. Um, so how did you get introduced to DocuSign? What is DocuSign for those that don't know? And, and tell me about that path. Sure. Well, DocuSign is rocking right now. It's yeah. one of those... Uh, I guess stay-at-home stocks, but it's it's allowing you to process documents electronically, signature. So, old world would be fax machines. Trying to close that deal at midnight and go get the fax. You don't need to do that. You can sign a document mm -hmm. on your phone, on mobile, on your laptop. You can see if someone's looked at the contract, who signed it, who's next. It's easier. There's a better paper trail. So it makes companies a lot more efficient. And think about sometimes the old days they and some companies still do this, they would FedEx or DHL a contract around <laughs> the world, right? So you, you lose 24, 48 hours waiting for the contract to be sent over. They have to sign it. Then they have to FedEx or DHL it back. Yeah. And so that massive efficiency, they're a $31 billion company now. Wow. I mean, they're, yes. Yeah, they're and doing amazing. How, how early were you there? We were about 150 people about eight people in marketing. They, uh, Dustin Gross was our CMO and he was just hiring the functional leaders to okay. build out what was necessary ahead of product marketing, head of demand gen, head of online, um, Europe, et cetera, and field marketing. Gotcha. And, and so what you were doing, demand generation, um, tell me more about that. Like, what did you actually do yes. as part of that yeah. role? Yeah. So a couple of things. One, you, I, I did an audit of our systems and what we had in place and uh, decided that we needed to put a marketing automation platform in. We put Eloqua in and about 20 other systems in the first wow. year and a half. Uh, the other thing is there was not a good handoff and relationship between sales and marketing. So really understanding the funnel, what mm. content they needed. So audited the content we had, uh, partnering with sales, uh, created nurture programs over I think we had over a hundred different nurture programs because if you think about all the personas, everybody needs to sign something over yeah. the age of 18. And in a business, you've got procurement, HR, facilities, marketing, sales was the largest one. Um, and so really just building out the content library, supporting the sales team, creating the nurture programs, and then creating the actual programs in the market that would bring people into our funnel and then accelerate them through. So my team grew from one to 25 people over the wow. uh, three and a half years that I was there. Uh, we also grew to 1200 uh, people. So I went from demand gen and then I went on to, uh, you know, I owned systems operations, eventually field marketing and the creative team. Uh, and uh, really just an amazing ride and loved my experience uh, yeah. and, and the team there. So I'd love to just understand, you know, when you first get there, just tell me what DocuSign was like in the early days. Like, I think a lot of people do know what it is. It's a $31 billion company. It's huge. What was it like when you got there? Yeah, they had just, so originally it was founded in Seattle. And so they had just, Keith Kroc um, was CEO and had just opened the San Francisco office. So there was a handful of us in the office, which eventually grew. And we've, we've you know, we moved, I think twice uh, when I was there in the growth. Um, but really it was just, you know, what you do when you go into scale a company is you, you have to assess what are the people you need, what are the processes that you don't have in place, you need to get in place, and what are the systems. And uh, build, really building a predictable engine for your sales team. And we were, you know, going up market. We had SMB mid-market and we were going into enterprise. And so we started to, you know, it's a very different selling motion What if you're targeting, you know, 
your on your inside sales team is on the phone selling and closing SMB. As you go into enterprise, you're more in the field, and there's yeah. different tactics, and the the sales cycles are longer, and there's a committee that's purchasing. So you have to create content for everyone that's part of that buying decision. Um, I'm curious. Before you joined DocuSign, you were actually working at some very large companies like IBM, Cisco. Did you see joining a startup like this as a risk or were you excited? Like why make that type of move? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good thought. You know, I graduated from college and couldn't go, I couldn't wait to go work for a big company. Like Cisco was a dream. Yeah. And then when I graduated, uh, IBM had acquired a startup, but everyone at Trigo was like, no, no, you, the startups are so much better. You would love it. And I followed the CMO Dan over to Postini. Uh, a, a security startup that actually got acquired by Cisco maybe eight months after I joined. Um, and I realized how much I loved the build phase. I loved mm. trying to figure out what technology is needed, where do we need to hire, what programs do we need to build. You have a lot of, um, you have no control, but you have a lot of control, right? You're getting to <laughs> do all these different jobs in marketing. And it's not, you know, I think as you go into a larger company, larger companies are, are, are great and fine in their own way, but your role becomes more narrow. And I kind of like the idea of the Wild West, just figuring it out, um, being very empowered. You know, there's not enough resources in startups, so you're empowered to try and do different things. You don't have a lot of budget, so you have to be very creative. You get to hack things and, um, you know, it's... Uh, there's a lot of innovation at startups for a reason. You don't have money and you don't have people. Um, and so you got it. You just find new ways of doing it. And I just yeah. thrived in that environment. And I you still really, thrive in that environment. Yeah. You get really scrappy. You, you, you find a way, I feel like, is, yes. is what, what, you, what hap tends to happen in these startup worlds, for sure. Yes. Um, so I'm curious then, you, you work at DocuSign for a few years. I'm curious about the process of going from DocuSign to becoming the CMO at MongoDB. Yeah, you know, I, um, I interestingly enough, when I was at DocuSign, our CMO was getting ready to leave, and it was, it was, he resigned the day I gave birth to my third child. <laughs> I really wanted to be a CMO, but I didn't want to leave DocuSign because I loved the company, and so um, from the hospital, I had my laptop there because I had to be there four days. I started scheduling time with our CEO and COO at DocuSign. I was like, I want to be the CMO. And I, uh, and I had been getting pinged by recruiters for different jobs and MongoDB had reached out, but I had ignored it because uh, one, it was a New York company uh, and it, I had just barely heard of it. And I was, um, didn't think I was technical enough for it. Yeah. Uh, and so I kind of ignored it. And for the next 12 weeks, I tried to be, get the CMO job at DocuSign. And I went in two days a, a week during my maternity leave and I pitched and I fought and I, I would like, I was driving up from, um, from the South Bay and I would like try to pump myself up, you know, to go after it. And, and in the end, I didn't get it. Um, I ended up being ranked three out of the, you know, candidates and Brad Brooks got it. Awesome guy, deserved it. He was the right pick for them at that time. Um, but it gave me, going through that process gave me the confidence of that, hey, you know, I can do it, I can leave, I've got uh, people reaching out. And at the same time, MongoDB was pretty aggressive. Even if I had said no, they kept coming back and <laughs> I'd give them all the reasons why it wasn't gonna work. And they'd come, you know, they were smart. Dave's a closer. He kept coming back and just saying, no, this is why. And I, I remember saying to him, I, I don't know why you want me. <laughs> My own company doesn't want me. <laughs> like, I tell you enough. And he, he was like, no, that's 
that's exactly why I want you. You have to prove to them they made the wrong choice. And I was like, gosh, you're right. And I don't like that, but you're right. I do. And, um, you know, I kind of built a rapport with him over that time. And I felt like I could, I could have an open discussion with him. And if he had so much faith in me that I could do it, I'd given him all the reasons to be concerned and he still had faith. So I, I, I leapt and took it. And I remember I flew back and forth the first year with my daughter, Audrey, um, cause she was four months when I took the job. And so she, and, and, you know, to, to their credit, Mongadubi gave me a travel stipend so I could bring an au pair with me and travel with her. So I could still nurse and do all the things I wanted to do the first year with her, um, and be the, be a CMO. And so it worked out. I mean, Mongadubi also another amazing stay at home stock that's doing, you know, last I looked, it was over $200, right? Yeah. Uh, a share. So just, um, amazing companies. Megan, that is that is an unbelievable story. That is awesome. So cool to, you know, be able to give birth and still get this new CMO role and you're flying back and forth. Like, man, that is impressive. Very, very impressive. Um, I, I'm really curious. Cause like, you know, you've got some confidence, but you also even mentioned like, Oh, I just don't feel like they didn't want me as a CMO. Why do you like, so I'm curious, like, did you feel prepared and ready to be the CMO? No, I was totally scared. I, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what if I fail? You know, there's, I had never run comms before, right? I had no comms background. I always had peers that did comms. So that was going to be totally new. I hadn't done product marketing in 10 years because I'd been doing demand gen. You know, I felt very confident on demand, fields, systems, operations. Um, but no, I felt like those are my weaknesses. And I didn't know anything about MongoDB. So yeah. I, that was a pretty steep learning curve. And I don't know that I ever totally like, you know, was a master of it, but um, no, I was totally scared. It was about two or three months in as I was hiring the team and building it out and starting to see progress. And we were launching a new website that I was like, okay, I think I have this. I think I have this. I'm a little scared, but I think I have this. And I, I got a little more confident, but no, those first couple months, I was pretty terrorized. Well, yeah, especially it's such a technical offering. And again, for those that don't know, what, just briefly, what is MongoDB? Because it is a very technical offering. Yeah, it's a it's a different style database. It's a more modern database than legacy Oracle. Uh, it allows you to scale and work with mass amount of data. It's a document style database. And even in the last three years, they've launched a product called Atlas, which is a database as a service that's taken off. It's doing amazing. It sits on uh, Amazon, AWS. It's on um, Microsoft and Google GCP. You can um, spin it up very fast. So they're seeing a huge amount of success. But it's infrastructure. It's a database. You build apps on it. Gotcha. And so I'm curious again, what was it like when you first joined MongoDB? They, they were a little bit bigger than when you joined DocuSign, I understand, but they still were. pretty early. Yeah, they were under 400. I think they were like 396 or something. I did have 24 people in marketing though when I started um, and I had a pretty good product marketing team in place. Um, and so, you know, the talent there was great. We had very smart people on the team. Uh, and I just need to surround them with more of the systems, operations, demand gen mindset, and partnering with sales and really understanding what sales needed. Very fortunate, actually, the CRO when I joined MongoDB was Carlos De La Torre, and we worked together um, for, for the time we were there. He just joined TripActions okay. uh, about four or five months ago as our CRO, so I couldn't be more excited to partner with him and to scale TripActions with him. 
Yeah, it seems those connections stick. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's what it's about. I, if I think about over time, one of the most important things as a leader is to be able to hire and develop people. And if you do a good job, continue to work with them. How much faster do you run when you land at a new company and you have eight or nine people you've already worked with? Yeah. There's 12 or 13 people here at TripActions that I've worked with throughout my career from Trigo, from ArcSight, from DocuSign, a couple from Mongo. Like over that time, you if you are good and a hard worker and you, you know, earn their respect and you develop them, you get to keep working with them. And now there's not that storming and forming. They're like, they know exactly what you're looking to do. They hit the ground running and yeah. you can just move so fast. It's so true. And I've seen that time and time again, just in these interviews that I've done, but in my own career for sure. So I couldn't agree with that more. Um, now you were with MongoDB when they went public. And yes. as the CMO, I imagine you had a pretty, you know, you were able to contribute to that quite a bit. So I'm curious, like, tell me about having a large contribution to taking a company public. Yeah, all very new. I'd never done it before. A lot of learnings, a lot of um, just, you know, you're really going public is about the CFO and the CEO. I would say, first of all, you need, I mean, it's proof you don't have to have done it before as a CMO, but you need a strong, like our CEO, Dave had done it before. Um, and so he was very experienced. Our CFO at the time, Michael, also awesome, strong, um, just had a great background, investment banking background. So we were in very good hands. Um, my job was to make sure that the day, you know, you go into a quiet period, but then the day of you get to make a lot of noise. <laughs> One thing we did really well. I had a very strong comms person, uh, Mark on the team, but very, we didn't have a PR firm. So he did an amazing job lining up, I think 24, 25 interviews day of 15 minute blocks across four or five execs. And then they just did phone, phone, phone all day long, which gives you a burst of all the stories because then you go into the quiet period again. Mm. Um, so I think that was amazing process to be part of. Uh, the other side of it is whether you go with NASDAQ or NYSE. I really thought up to the point the communication I was getting was we were going to go with the New York Stock Exchange. So I was doing so much negotiation with them. And then I think it was like two weeks before we switched to NASDAQ, I found out and I was like, oh no, wait, what? What's happening? And so it was like this, okay, over here, now we're going to do, you know, this and execute. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it's almost, it's, it's not, you, you should have certain things you're going to know you're going to do no matter what. We put an ad in the Wall Street Journal, a, a full color ad, which was a lot of fun to get to do. Um, we didn't put it uh, across the U.S. We did certain uh, cities, mm. but um, just just an amazing, fun experience to be there day of. To We had good weather. We got to set up a station in Times Square um, where people could come by and just the excitement for the company to, um, you know, bring in t-shirts and sweat. Mm. I don't know. It was just a very amazing moment. And there's not many tech companies that are in New York. So the beautiful part about it is most of our oh, company yeah. or at least half our company is in New York and we were a block off of NASDAQ. So everyone could walk over from the office and be a part That's of it, so be outside cool. cheering it, cheering it on. And so, yeah, it was amazing. I think most people, you only are really able to fly. It's expensive. It would be expensive to fly your company in to New York if you're uh, West Coast based or Chicago, Atlanta, or one of these other tech hubs. Um, if you were to, to fly everyone in, you just can't. So usually it's just the leadership and the board that gets to go. Uh, so it was amazing that a lot of the company, I think we had 75 plus on the floor ringing the bell. Uh, so that That's was just awesome. 
lots of great memories with the team. Yeah. yeah really cool experience. That's cool. Um, I'm curious, what's maybe one of the hardest learning experiences you had at MongoDB? You know, I think the transition from being a VP of demand gen into a CMO role, uh, one of the things I didn't realize is it's not, when you're a C-level exec, it's not enough to be amazing at your function. You actually, your peer set becomes the CFO, the CRO, the head of product, the, you know, that's the group you need to really work with. Um, and so you transition from a CMO who's like, you're doing amazing, keep it up, give you more responsibility, keep rocking, everything is sunshine to wait. That, you, you, of course, that's what you're going to do. Right? Like, now we need you to well, make duh. decisions for the business and we need, you know, pro, you know, a, a roadmap for, for the company and the values and um, budget discussions like, yeah, okay, marketing always needs money, but actually we should probably invest right now in sales or in engineering, like making those mm -hmm. tough calls that are right for the business, even if it means you don't get headcount and budget for your function, you need to do what's right for the business. And so I think I was pretty sucky at that and didn't do enough to bond with the head of product and engineering out of the gate. With, with When you're in marketing, you've got to bond with everyone. You cannot be effective if you're not bonding with engineering and product because you don't know the roadmap. You can't influence that, bringing it to market, ha understanding the product. It was so technical and yeah. like what you're bringing to market and what what's so like, what is the amazing thing about it? If you're not aligned really well, how do you take that to market? So you've got to be an expert at partnering with that team. You're dead in the water if you don't partner with sales. Yeah. Right? You've got to have a very strong partnership with sales. And then of course the CFO, because that's your budget and your livelihood and your hiring. And then head of people, you know, you're always trying to hire and it was a, a war for talent. And so marketing is in this interesting position that cannot be effective without everyone else. Because even HR, you're helping, you're doing the company brand, you're helping them hire across the board, the website presence, you're applying yep. for awards with them. Like your function is tied into everyone else's function. So you have to have very strong working relationships there in order to be successful, unlike any other role. Most roles can be, while well, they would be better with you, but you, you've got to have that, um, that relationship, those relationships there. And I've always been a relationship person, but I didn't understand the level at which it mattered. So I learned that, I had to definitely learn that. And I, I made some mistakes there for sure. Any tips that you would give to someone that's trying to build those relationships with these different functions? Like you're probably a natural out of it. Maybe others aren't. No, I mean, you need to spend time, right? I was flying back and forth from the Palo Alto office. So my struggle was when I flew out to New York and I had three kids. So when I flew out to New York, I really needed to spend time with the marketing team. Most of my team was in New York. At least 50% of my team was New York. So I was spending time with them when I should have been spending time with product and engineering mm. and finance and all the other functions. But I felt my team, because I felt when I was back in the Bay Area, my team was needing me. They weren't getting the FaceTime. We weren't, you know, doing a line, but I, but I was keeping my family together. Yeah. And then I would go out to New York and I'd get things running going well in New York. But then my family was kind of, you know, fall, not falling apart, but like your kids need you, right? They're young. I had, um, you know, uh, under one, three and five-year-old. And so I felt this constant tug and pull and mm -hmm. trying to balance. And so I thought, well, if I don't do good at marketing, I'm not here. So I always made the trade-off to, to, fun fun um, to focus on the marketing org. But to the, it, I think it hurt across the different functions. 
one of my criteria when I was leaving is I, is I picked a company that was close to home. And I will tell you, this job is so much easier being in headquarters full time. Yeah. Like the, it's so much easier to build relationships, to balance your family, to, uh, I mean, I get the road warrior life, which is who we support as a business travel company, but um, <laughs> at the exec, I just, the, the water cooler talk, I get to have lunch with people. Like when there's conflict, you have a partner, you're working through the conflict. It, it's just different if you guys have that relationship outside of the conflict to work yeah. through it. And there's a level of trust that builds over time by getting to spend more time with them in person. Yeah, you, you bring up a couple of good points. So first of all, yeah, like you are remote from the main headquarters, which makes building those relationships that much more challenging. You're away from your family, making those, building those relationships that much more challenging. You brought up yes. a good point though. I'm curious with, you know, we're in COVID-19 right now. Everyone, most people are still working from home. Obviously, it's been challenging to maintain some of these relationships. And a lot of companies are even planning on not going back into the office. What are the pros and cons that you see from those types of decisions? Yeah, I, that's why I'm still at Trip Actions. I actually don't think it's sustainable. I actually really? think people will become less productive. Um, I think that we will get back to traveling within a year, um, hmm. if not January, February timeframe. Uh, I, I think the in-person connections matter so much. And even talking with different uh, travelers that are in sales, as soon as a competitor starts encroaching on their account, they're going to fly, mm -hmm. right? You, you're, you're certainly going to tighten up your value prop if you're in sales because the relationships are, you're not taking people out to dinner and sitting with them and totally. building that rapport the same way, right? You've got to come across on a, a virtual conference call and it's different. So those that are really good at the relationship sale better become really good at the value prop and showing that, which is, I think, better for companies in general to really nail down their value prop. But, um, you know, relationships in business are in person and even think about you're on these virtual conference calls and it, it freezes, right. And it drops or you yeah. don't get the gist and you can't read the body language and you can't, you know, the friction doesn't go away. But if you're in an office with people and you go for lunch and, and dinner and you spend time, it just makes solving problems. I think so much easier um, and building relationships and bonding to your team. Like I feel very separated from my team. Uh, I want to bond with them. I want to, even if it's an outdoor walk or hike and we stay six feet apart, I, I want to, <laughs> you know, at some point bring the team together. Uh, so I don't think it's sustainable. I think yeah. humans need to be in a, be together, be productive. Um, and I think it gets boring at home or if you have kids at home, it's noisy at home. Um, <laughs> it's how, you know, there's nothing easy about, uh, about, uh, working at home when your kids are there, uh, for sure. No matter how good they are, it's, it, I think is, a a bit of a distraction. And I love the discipline of going into the office. I love the separation of home and work. Like I like that routine and, and coming in, I'm, you know, in the office now and I, I just, for me, it, it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the productivity is the biggest thing I've noticed for myself. You know, I, I'll fully admit I was not as productive when I was working from home. We've gone back into the office and luckily, it, and it's just my productivity is through the roof in comparison of working in the office versus home. And maybe I just need to get better. I don't know. But um, I, I agree with you. So, so yeah, so you've mentioned this trip actions. This is where you're at now. Why the move from MongoDB to trip actions? Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of it was 
going back and forth and having my girls that are getting older, I wanted a company closer to home. Mm. I wanted, you know, my sweet spot is getting in and really scaling a company uh, and taking them to a successful exit. Uh, I love large addressable markets. If you think about it, when I was uh, looking at MongoDB, there's not much larger software market than the database market, 45 billion on the way to 60 billion. Uh, and if you look at business travel, it's 1.5 trillion pre-COVID. They believe it's about 600 billion post-COVID. We have less than 1% of the market at TripActions. Uh, and so even if it's half the size that it was pre-COVID, we have a lot of room to grow. So we're, we're very busy taking market share right now. And we've had very good months. Now, revenue doesn't come in until people travel. We're a usage-based model, but we are signing a ton of contracts. Now is a great time to switch in business travel, you know, switch in and switch out with a new business travel platform. And we have a great booking tool and a TMC with our travel agents and we're global. So yeah. we've been busy uh, lining up uh, and taking market share. Yeah, and you guys have seen some tremendous success. You you had shared some numbers with me about you were at 400, about when you joined, you jumped up to 1,200. Obviously, COVID's affected that a little bit, but that was in a year. You you tripled in a yes. year from 400 employees. Like, tell me about that. That's nuts. It was nuts last year. Um, we were we added 800 people and grew to about a little under 1,200. Now we're 900. We did do a layoff a, a, a little under 300 uh, three months ago. Uh, but still 900 people around the world, um, still adding a lot of customers. Um, and, and still, you know, we just had an infusion of cash. Uh, we closed 125 million uh, and we had about 200, 200 and something in the bank. So we are set to ride out the downturn. You know, what's the problem is companies that haven't recently raised cash or now in an environment, it's really tough to raise. Startups that don't have cash will, will go out of business or need to be a Required. And larger legacy players have massive infrastructure they have to support in our space. So we think our larger competitors will be weakened by the environment. They'll have a ton of costs. And also, as you get bigger, you tend to acquire more companies and take on more debt. And so if you don't have revenue coming in and you have debt, you're, that's a problem. So we think we can ride out the downturn for the next year or two. I love Ben Horowitz had a quote. Uh, he said, as long as this doesn't go on for 10 years, we'll be fine. He's on board. <laughs> Um, and I, I think it's true. We, you know, I think we will come out stronger because smaller players that don't have cash and can't outlast it for the next year or two will go out and the bigger ones will be weakened. And we are positioned well to take market share. We're also only five years old and we're on more modern technology. So mm. we can build and innovate much faster than the larger players. So we are building product like crazy. We did not let go any of our engineers. In fact, we're hiring engineers. We're hiring enterprise sales reps. We're growing in Europe. So it's, you know, it's an odd time, but I actually think we will come out of this much stronger. So I'm excited about the future. Uh, I'm curious, as you've gone through these different companies, when you join a new company, what's the first thing you focus on accomplishing? Uh, interviewing and meeting people. So I spend a lot of time collecting information. Yeah. I'm assessing the, the, the people on the team. I'm assessing the systems. I'm asking what are the problems i'm asking everyone that what what do you need for marketing i'm talking with people in sales with customer success with product what, what are the biggest issues and challenges we're facing 
so I can put the plan together to go tackle those. Because you need early wins to build relationships. You need to solve some problems right away and then others take longer, solve those along the way and show an impact. And so I just, in the beginning, I spent a lot of time uh, interviewing, getting to know people and hiring. I hired 20 people in six, my first six weeks here um, at TripAction last year. I know we were, you know, I, I needed to hire fast. I had 10 people on the team that were amazing, but I needed a lot more on the B2B side. I needed systems and ops. I needed product marketing. I needed comms. So I went on a hiring like craze. I hired, you know, and I, I did, I hired leaders and I hired the people on their teams. Yeah. Uh, and so it was just a busy, uh, busy time, but it was so fun um, to be back in the Bay area. There's a lot of great talent. I wasn't asking people to fly back and forth to New York. So it seemed also much easier to hire and such a fun company. You know, you get yeah. to use the product. Everyone uses it. You know, it's fun to market a product that you use. Yeah. I had a really good leader earlier in my career that did very much the same thing. He got there. He was over sales. He didn't just go to try to implement a bunch of stuff. He went and interviewed anybody he possibly could to find out what are the problems, what's actually going on, and to just get to know everyone as best as he possibly could. And I think it's just such a valuable first step when joining a new company of like, this is, let's find out what the problems are, what, what finds out what we can actually go solve and what, what is the low hanging fruit essentially. So I, I love that advice. Now, in the midst of you working and being a part of these great companies, <clears throat> your LinkedIn is jam-packed um, with being an advisor and sitting on a couple of different boards of companies. So I'm curious, how did that happen? And maybe what are you typically helping these companies with? Yeah, you know, it's because I was a big user of marketing technology ever since I graduated business school. I implemented Eloqua. I learned about it. And I understood it. And then I was a product marketer. I could really tell them back their value prop and became a great customer case study for a lot of the technologies and was comfortable speaking about their technologies for our vendors and um, was often asked to join at customer customer groups to give feedback. And uh, one of them, uh, Mintigo, who actually was sold to uh, Anaplan uh, in the last year, um, approached me and I said, hey, I'm willing to be an advisor. And uh, I joined them as an advisor and kind of once you have one and you add that on your LinkedIn and then if you do a good job and you provide value and people hear about it, I started to get asked by other MarTech companies if I would be an advisor uh, and startups. And then that led to sales tech companies asking because I was buying also sales mm -hmm. tech and, and providing feedback and, and able to give them their value prop in a way that customers would resonate with it. Um, and so that just started to grow and eventually HR tech. And uh, it took me a while to get on a board. Actually, I love Godard uh, at G2. He um, reached out to me on a board seat and um, I was fortunate enough to get to join his boards. That was my first board. Um, and I just, you know, I think if people want to do advisory work, I, I, I always get asked, how do you get that going? Because um, I've never actually sought out advisor work. I've just been approached and then decided, are you a competitor to someone I advise or work at? If not, and I think you would be great to work at and I'd enjoy it and I can help you, then I'll, 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 I'll join as an advisor and I have time for you. Um, but I tell people, if someone reaches out to you to be a CMO or VP of whatever your function is, and you're not ready to leave, you don't want to leave your company, you can always put, you can always say, well, I'm, you know, I'm, this is not the right time for me, but I'm happy to be an advisor. Mm. And, you know, if they want to hire you full time, why wouldn't they want your advice too? <laughs> and so 
I've turned some where they reached out to be their CMO and I've just said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to leave. I love what I'm doing here, but I am, I am open to doing some advisory work. And I, I've turned that into advisory work. That's so cool. And that's such a great approach. And it's so easy. Like if you're being recruited, it's an easy way to still keep the relationship going. If maybe the role makes sense in the future. And yeah, I love that. <clears throat> uh, in our last couple of minutes here, Megan. So first, I'd, I'd love to just hear your perspective on being a woman senior leader in the tech space. Yeah, you know, I um, what I love is that Trip Actions, we're 50% women. <laughs> so this is the first tech wow. company I've been at where um, we are, as a whole, as a company, you guys. Gender, our gender diversity is pretty amazing. Um, prior to that, you know, certainly when I joined MongoDB, I was the first uh, female C-level exec. Um, and... And, you know, DocuSign, we had, you know, I, I was the first also uh, female VP um, at DocuSign. But, um, you know, over time, they added many more women and executives uh, to the team. Um, you know, I, I was a, the youngest of three girls. And I, I, my dad always wanted a boy, but he had girls. And so I think he just treated us like boys, girls, whatever. It was like, go mow the lawn, take the trash out. I'm going to build a rabbit hutch or a dog house, or I'm fixing some, he was always, you know, he was just building stuff all the time and making stuff and he would involve us in it. And I loved watching, he had a workbench, he'd go out and do stuff. Um, he was always doing projects uh, and for, he was very frugal. So he would rather fix it himself than, than buy something new or, or um, pay someone to do it. So I was fortunate to, uh, for that. Um, he also was just, you're going to go to college, you're going to do the sciences. Like he was, uh, I think a strong advocate and just said, you have to go to college. Like I'm not paying for it, but you have to go to college. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think just having that mindset, I just never thought I couldn't do it. Maybe I was ignorant and I just, um, you know, if I wanted something, I went for it. If someone said no or close the door, I just found a way to do it. Uh, I think I was very uh, scrappy and I had FOMO and I just kept trying to do things um, and I didn't think I had a ceiling. Um, and if I focused on solving the problems and delivering value, you know, I was lucky. And I did have, I, I think I had, I was fortunate to have bosses and mentors that also didn't see a ceiling for me and um, gave me the opportunity. Uh, and I, I watched all the women that I ever saw in leadership. How were they successful? You know, I, I watched them. Uh, many of them didn't have children, so I think that's an added challenge, mm. um, but they were still awesome at what they did, and I tried to learn how they interacted, what they did, how they got there um, from them. Yeah, that's awesome. That's such a fresh and just encouraging uh, mindset to have of just, not, there's nothing getting in my way. I'm going to go and tackle it, and uh, I think that's so healthy. Uh, I love that. Uh, I'm curious, what's maybe one of your favorite stories from the early years? My favorite stories from the early years. Oh my goodness. Um, oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's not the early years, I guess taking a company public was one of probably my, a lifetime moment uh, that I went through and I, I really enjoyed, um, you know, I, I, I think when I think of my early years, things that were fun is when I started to, you know, very relevant to what I'm doing now is when I would get to do business trips. When I joined IBM and they had acquired Trigo and I got to fly around the world and present in Amsterdam and New Zealand mm. and Singapore and 
um, Hong Kong and like just that opportunity to um, go see the world and do work and be, you know, be demoing or, you know, we did events all around the world to sell our products. Um, I think those were the times that you just, maybe people would call them boondoggles, <laughs> but those are times that you just went with the team and you were selling and you were out there. And I, I, I didn't have children yet. I wasn't married and I got to just travel and, um, you know, it just felt very much like an adult. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Uh, I'm curious. Last question here is what, what piece of advice would you give to someone that's currently in the early years of a startup? Yeah, I, I think the best thing is to be a learner. Uh, keep reading. I went back, even I went through all my Amazon books. I did a sort just to see, because someone asked me, what books have you read in your career? It doesn't go all the way back, of course, because yeah. Amazon has been around um, my entire career, but I was impressed 70, 80, 100 books. Like I, I, and I looked at the books over time. It was, you know, how to be a leader, how to manage a team. Um, you know, nice girls don't get the corner office. I remember it was one of the books that I read. <laughs> um, Who moved my cheese? Like I read a bunch of just self development books, leadership books. I there was a bunch of books in there about having children, um, how to be a good parent. Like you know, I went through that phase of of trying to be like the best mom. Um, you know, learning Excel. I remember I bought this really big book on how to be better at Excel uh, and all the tips and tricks, how to do H code and HTML. Those were all pre-Amazon. But I just, throughout my career, I've always tried to learn, take courses. If you go to a large company, they often offer learning. And so if you're at a Cisco, HP, any of those, take the leadership courses, take all the learning I could get. I was just absorbing it. Um, and just keep in reinventing yourself right now. There's a, um, a CMO group that's doing a book club and we're reading books throughout it. Like that kind of stuff. You just, if you want to stay up on your game, you've got to keep reading, uh, and, uh, developing because the world is changing very fast yeah. from uh, what it was like 25 years ago. So keep, keep doing that. And in a recession when it's going to be, you know, competitive workforce out there, you know, if you can go back to school, get your MBA, um, but keep learning. That's Megan Eisenberg, the marketing rock star of the tech world. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you like the show, leave us a review. Also subscribe on Apple or Spotify. I'm Braden Anderson, and this is the early years.